Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Burlington's mayor recaps the year that was. Sports betting has exploded, so does that mean more problem gamblers? Will Trump face criminal charges for the January 6th insurrection? Learn more about the most searched vehicles in Canada, and we help you stay fit during the holidays. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. What is happening uh, just outside of the Hamilton boundary, and that is our good friends over in Burlington. It's been a, uh, a wacky year in some regards and a very productive year in others. And in our week-long year-in-review series today, we are focusing on the city of Burlington. And joining us to talk about what has happened over the last 12 months is the mayor of Burlington, Marianne Mead Ward. Marianne, good morning. How are you today? I'm great. Good times. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very great much way so. to wake up. It, it, uh, it, <laughs> it wasn't so good times when we had several coyote attacks in Burlington this year. One of the big stories out of the city. That was a pretty harrowing few weeks. What's the update on that? It really was. And I have to credit council and our bylaw staff, our animal control staff, for stepping in immediately to take a very quick action. And we did uh, identify that there were four coyotes, part of the same family that were being fed. Uh, We have coyotes all over the city. Uh, They've been with us in all of my time here in the city of Burlington, which has been 22 years that our family has lived here. And we've never had an attack on a human until this summer, unfortunately. And uh, and a very young child. It was very, very uh, scary, painful, uh, very difficult for the folks who were bitten. And, uh, and that's what, <clears throat> with the help of trappers and other experts uh, from the Ministry of Natural Resources, uh, we were able to identify that, that it was really the work of this one family that had been conditioned to see humans as food. And, the, and biting was a way to kind of get your attention. So we did uh, get a trapper. We have eliminated those coyotes. There's been no further uh, issues. People still will see coyotes in the city of Burlington. And the question I get the most is, can you just not eliminate them all, either relocate them or shoot them? And the answer is no. Uh, first of all, that would be inhumane. But but secondly, it's not effective because uh, a new group of coyotes would simply move into that territory. They, they come for the same things that we like, which is uh, parks and water and creeks and open space. And uh, so we do have a whole strategy about how to coexist. And, and rule number one, don't feed the coyotes and don't feed the squirrels and all the other animals that the coyotes feed on. How confident are you that uh, we won't have a repeat next year in the following year? I, I guess as long as people don't feed these animals, we will be in a better position. Absolutely. And, and as I said, they've been around for, for decades. Uh, we've never had a problem until now. And, and what changed is human behavior. So we need human behavior to change back to not feeding coyotes and not feeding small, uh, small animals, squirrels, chipmunks, bunnies. Uh, they, they look cute. They're cuter than coyotes, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> but don't feed them because then you will attract the coyotes to, uh, to eat them and to see you ultimately as a source of food. We're talking about the year that was in Burlington with Burlington Mayor Mary Ann Mead Ward here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, Housing, obviously a huge issue in Hamilton and Burlington, really across the country. Uh, Last week, Burlington Council unanimously approved a plan to speed up the development application process. What does that look like? What will change? We're adding more resources. We've had really a double whammy uh, hit us, and and it's affecting many municipalities across Ontario, perhaps the country, where there is a labor shortage for skilled uh, talent. Certainly, in planning, there is a huge boom in 
uh, in building. We have 21,000 units right now under review at the City of Burlington. Uh, our new targets from the province are 29,000 uh, to meet the, the 1.5 million new homes target. So we're, we're very close to that already. And, and more people are home. We saw that during COVID that people couldn't travel. And so they started investing in our homes. So we had at one point a 400% increase in the number of applications. And of course, we didn't, we didn't increase our staff by 400% overnight, but, but we are now addressing that. We did add resources to our planning staff earlier this year as part of budget. And most recently, uh, we did add additional resources to our site engineering folks so it's really that uh, increase in applications as well as there's a lot of vacancy and turnover. And then, of course, uh, COVID has impacted uh, our workforce like many others. So, so we hope that this will allow us to speed up uh, permits. We want to get shovels in the ground for those applications that we think are good ones for our city and make that happen really quickly. Uh, we got a couple more minutes in this segment uh, regarding growing the city. Is there room to grow and is the only room going upwards? Well, we have a couple of ways that we can grow and, and it's mostly upwards. But we're also looking at ground-oriented uh, units, townhouse units in the base of taller buildings. And that's been done in many places, including in the city of Burlington. But we're directing growth to our three GO stations, as well as aging retail plazas. Uh, we just uh, settled uh, an Ontario Land Tribunal appeal for an application at Appleby Mall, which will include some townhouses, as well as uh, two 11-story buildings so there's a way to do both. And <clears throat> I think if, if we, you know, if, if the, the continuation is simply to build one and two uh, bedroom condos, we're warehousing people, we're not housing them. We need family size units in those apartments. Uh, and we need some ground oriented in the base of some of those taller buildings. So we know that we can accommodate the growth that we've been assigned in Burlington and not expand our rural boundary, our urban boundary into the rural area. We do not need to build into the green belt at all. We can do this within the existing urban boundary in Burlington and I would say across Ontario. I will ask uh, Mayor Marianne Mead Ward about her opinion on Bill 23 when we come back as we take a look back at the year that was in the city of Burlington here in 2022. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Unequivocally, we won't touch the green belt. Uh, unlike other governments that don't listen to people, I've heard it loud and clear. People don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. We'll figure out uh, how to clean up this housing mess and this housing crisis that we're facing in a different fashion. But all my friends, I listen to you. You don't want me touching the green belt. We won't touch the green belt. Well, that tune has certainly changed. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. We are continuing our year in review series with the Mayor of Burlington, Marianne Meadborn, as we look back at the year that was in that community. Uh, Bill 23, you, you mentioned it earlier, Ontario's housing plan, certainly causing a lot of pain with an expected increase in uh, lost revenue due to those waived or deleted or reduced development charges. Is Burlington Council going to direct developers to build on non-Greenbelt lands first, if, in fact, those Greenbelt lands do open up soon? Well, we are not supportive of any Greenbelt development here in the city of Burlington. That's been a long-standing position for City Council. We will not, uh, we will not move our urban boundaries, so 
half of Burlington right now is rural and there's agricultural economy happening. These are jobs. These, uh, this is a really important part of our ecosystem, uh, but it's also an economic driver here in the city. So we can accommodate all the growth that we have planned and that the province has assigned to us without touching our green belt. And we, that needs to be the position. You know, we want the premier to honor his word that he wouldn't expand into the green belt anywhere in this province. The development charges aspect of it, does that mean a tax increase is inevitable in Burlington next year? Well, it absolutely will mean uh, a shift to uh, from money from uh, for-profit developers to the backs of taxpayers. So the, the, the credit for development charges, this pays for things like more buses on transit for a growing community, more community centers for a growing community, more libraries for a growing community. Those costs have to be borne somehow, or we have crowded uh, facilities and and we can't have that uh, with a growing community you have to have amenities that keep up with the population growth and that's exactly what development charges pay for and by the way growth never fully pays for growth there's about a 20 percent gap that is already borne by existing taxpayers this would put that up to a hundred percent gap and there's no guarantee that that savings on that first home purchase would go to the buyer uh, there's no guarantee that that would go to a first home buyer versus an investor who's buying to flip. And of course, on resale, any savings are are evaporated. So there's no protections put in place to make sure that this will actually benefit the first time uh, home buyer. Uh, what it will do, we know, is increase the profits for uh, for-profit developers. So it really is a developer subsidy on the backs of taxpayers, and it will do nothing to increase the supply of housing. There are a whole range of other tools, including what we just talked about, speeding up permit processes that will help to increase the supply of housing. And we're doing our share. And and we we can do that. We will do that in the city of Burlington and across uh, the province. Municipalities have all said that they are willing and, and actually eager to contribute to reducing the housing crisis. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Wards. We had a municipal election a couple months ago. You're obviously re-elected to the mayor's seat, but only 27%, I think that was the stat, 27% of people actually bothered to vote. Does that number bother you? And, and how do we fix that? How do we re-energize voters out there? Well, you could read it a couple of ways. Uh, You could read it as apathy. You could read it as people are happy with the way things are. I mean, every single member of Burlington City Council was returned. Uh, I certainly heard when I was knocking at uh, thousands of doors throughout the campaign that people were pleased at the progress this council had made. But it is a disturbing figure. I'd I'd like to see, you know, ideally 100% turnout, but elections will change if everybody votes. And we saw the same at the provincial level. And, you know, I was at a career class at uh, Nelson High School a couple of days ago and said to them, look, if, if the, the voter turnout for young people is uh, is the lowest, the lowest of all. And I said, you're letting uh, old folks like me, you know, make your decisions for you. So uh, when you are able to vote, the day you turn 18, vote in every election after that. So I, I don't know what the what the answer is in terms of increasing voter turnout. People tend to come out when there's a strong race and there's a significant issue. And we didn't have either in the city of Burlington this past election. Another big issue in the province is the strong mayor powers that are being delivered to Toronto and Ottawa. Is that something that you would like to see in Burlington? 
Absolutely not. I've never asked for strong powers for mayors. I think the system that we have is democratic. It's, it equalizes uh, the, the role of every elected official around the table. And it forces you to negotiate and compromise and work with your colleagues. And we have in the last term of council, and I know this will continue in the next term, uh, we have achieved incredible things together working as a team. And, and over 91% of our votes were unanimous, actually. So we had just enough uh, diversity of perspective, but we got things done. So I, I think the most troubling aspect of it is the ability to get, get you know, legislation, so to speak, through with one third support. That, that is unheard of, that no other level of government has that power. I certainly don't want it, don't need it. I think it's a dangerous precedent. What we do need is more powers for cities in general, and that's something that I've been talking about for years, that we can be eliminated by the province with a stroke of a pen. We can have, uh, as, as we've just talked about, our development charges, our entire financial structure upended by the province. That's got to stop. And municipalities need to be seen as our own order of government, not subject to the whims of whoever is in government at the time. Uh, we've got about a minute. Is there something you're looking most forward to in 2023 in Burlington? I am really looking forward to the community conversation we're going to have about uh, the space at Robert Bateman High School, the community space. So we bought a, a big old uh, high school. It's over 200,000 square feet. Half of that will be uh, tenants, including Brock University, uh, the, the school board and others. And half of that will be open for community use. And I've already had many people approach me to say what they want to put there. I think it's great. There's a lot of excitement in the community about that. Uh, so I look forward to that. We're also redoing our Parks and Recreation Master Plan. So people have said, you know, we need more ice time. We need more pickleball courts. We need more of uh, you know, more fields. And so we'll have a conversation to look into the future with all of the new population we're going to get and predict what, what new facilities we need. We need three more community centers, in my mind, at each of the, the three GO stations. So we, we have the ability to plan our city for the next 50 years. It's a very exciting opportunity and a great time to be the mayor of the city. Exciting times are ahead for sure. Uh, Ms. Marianne Meadward, thanks for joining us today. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all the best in 2023, and we'll talk to you in the new year. Thanks, same to you, and have a great rest of your show. That is Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward here on Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, I'll tell you what, Fred, we'll play for a nickel if you want to bet. A bet? A bet? A bet? A bet? A bet? 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 Okay, Bonnie, you're on, but don't tell Wilma. Well, any fan of the Flintstones know that Fred indeed lost his marbles in that episode, which back in the day, you know, used comedy to highlight the issue of problem gambling. And it's a serious issue. Fast forward to 2022 as we welcome you back here to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And there, as you know, there's been an explosion of sports gambling in Canada ever since single game betting was allowed earlier this year. Wherever you look, wherever you turn, there seems to be an advertisement for a sports gaming website. The question is, has it led to more people with a gambling addiction in this community. Susan Boyd is the manager of Alcohol, Drug and Gambling Services and the Mental Health Street Outreach Program with Hamilton Public Health Services and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Susan, good morning. How are you today? 
I'm fine, Rick. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. Has your program noticed more problem gamblers in Hamilton this year compared to past years? Yeah, that's a good question, Rick. So what we are seeing in our service, and we are one service in the in the city, but what we are seeing is more people accessing gambling through through the internet. Um, and so we're not sure right now around certain games and activities that they're playing, but we're definitely seeing an increase in access uh, through the internet, for sure. How could this develop into an addiction? Yeah, that's also a really good question because we do know that all gambling activities are associated with risk and harm and can develop into an addiction. And so part of the issue with the change to the market, as you talked about, is that there's a lot of availability now. We have many sites, I think almost 68 sites that people can access so you can have accounts across sites. So that's always an issue with gambling when there's more availability and also that access I just talked about because it's online and you can get to it through uh, the internet and through your devices. I mean, we always tend to have, you know, some kind of tech with us. And so it means that gambling is within reach. And so those are two factors that can increase people's potential to develop problems with gambling. When it comes to a gambling addiction, whether it's at the casino or whether it's sports, iGaming, is it similar to smoking and drugs in which, you know, an, an individual gets a high or a sensation that they want to feel over and over again? Yes, absolutely. You can make those uh, sort of connections to other, I think, other addictions that people are maybe a little more familiar with. There's certainly the thrill, the excitement, the reward center gets, you know, activated. And so that can be, you know, difficult for people to sort of walk away from that. Susan Boyd is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Susan is the manager of Alcohol, Drug and Gambling Services and the Mental Health Street Outreach Program with Hamilton Public Health. What are the warning signs when it comes to problem gambling? Yeah, so as we've talked about, gambling can certainly uh, be addictive. And although we know the majority of people who who play and sort of engage in gambling activities don't develop problems, definitely for people it can be a problem. And we encourage people to know the signs. And so some of the signs is that if you're starting to think about that you might have a gambling problem, you're feeling guilty, you're maybe anxious, uh, a little bit worried about it, we would definitely suggest that that's uh, something to to look at, um, sort of maybe get some help with if others are worried about your gambling so you have a friend you have a family member who's like you know i think you might be doing this a bit much that can be a sign uh if you need to and this goes to the comment you had made like if you need to gamble with increased money to get that same thrill that's also a sign um and then definitely if you're using gambling because gambling is supposed to be a recreational activity and if you're using it to escape from problems or relieve feelings of hopelessness or depression and anxiety, that can also be a sign that it's problematic. And if you're trying to win back money um, that you've lost, that can be another sign. What are the steps to recovery? So if there's an individual who's identified an issue that, hey, I, I need to get some help, what is the process like to get them back on track? Yeah, so we do have um, problem gambling programs across the province. And so you may have listeners that might not be in Hamilton. So there's definitely, there's a number called, or an organization called Connex, C-O-N-N-E-X. If people Google that, it'll come up. And they can help you find problem gambling programs across uh, the province. And so in Hamilton, we do provide a problem gambling uh, treatment program. And so steps can be, you know, giving us a call. So we'll do an intake. We'll kind of get some 
you know, initial information from you and then people can come in. We're doing both virtual and in person and meet with that person to assess like what do they think are the issues and then develop plans for that. Also, there's other um, avenues like Gamblers Anonymous. Um, people, again, can, you know, t- Google that and they'll find where meetings are across uh, across the province. So that is another way, a self-help way for people um, to sort of reach out and get some help. It's great to know that there are some great services in the community to help those who are struggling with addiction, whether it's sports gambling or otherwise. Susan, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and uh, insight on this. Oh, thanks for having me on, Rick. Really appreciate it. Susan Boyd, manager of the Alcohol, Drug, and Gambling Services and the Mental Health Street Outreach Program with Hamilton Public Health Services. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Do you think the Justice Department will lay criminal charges against former President Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol? And it's really a, I was going to say 50-50 split, but there's three options, so it's about a 30-30-30 split on Twitter. Yes, you'll face charges. No, no charges will be laid by the DOJ. Or yes, but he's not going to go to jail. He won't go to prison. 38% say no. Do not believe that the Justice Department will charge the former president. 32% say yes, but he's not going to be behind bars. And 30% say yeah, they think the DOJ will lay those criminal charges. Well, it was a hot topic all day yesterday, and uh, Brian Karam was a guest on uh, Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson yesterday afternoon. He's a a political analyst for CNN, a White House reporter. He's also the host of Just Ask the Question podcast, and he hit the nail on the head when it comes to what this all means. It doesn't matter for the Justice Department. They can go after charges against Donald Trump without having them referred to them by by this committee or anyone in Congress. They, they're an independent branch of government, can pretty well do what they want, so they don't need the referral. What the referral does is outlines, it, it kind of puts some pressure on the Department of Justice to take further steps. And these are pretty strong referrals. The one, the obstruction of official proceeding, uh, conspiracy to defraud the US, conspiracy to make a false statement, it's the last one, inciting, assisting, or aiding comfort on an insurrection. If convicted of that, Donald Trump would be prevented from running for public office ever again. So that's that has real weight to it. I don't suspect that Donald Trump will ever see a day behind bars. I don't know if he'll be convicted. But spelling this out into four specific crimes that he committed on that day and as seen by this committee sends a very powerful message. Their goal was to make sure that it never happens again. To make sure it never happens again, they want accountability. And this is what they think Donald Trump is accountable for. So for all of that, it it also kind of, it crystallizes and distills everything for for people who only pay, you know, a little bit of attention or no attention to it. Mm. And those who want to know, all right, what happened? Well, now you got four things. This is what he did on, on the day of the insurrection. This is what we're accusing him of doing. And so it's it is important symbolically. It's important uh, for uh, the Justice Department to go forward, although they don't need it. And it's important for Congress and specifically tying it up before the end of the year when the Republicans take over and will try to, you know, unravel everything when they take over the House in January. At the end of the day, this is a, as Brian mentioned, a symbolic recommendation of this committee to say, hey, Department of Justice, this happened, 
over to you. We recommend that these charges be laid. The most serious one, and Brian referenced it, inciting, assisting, uh, assisting aiding, or comforting an insurrection. That's the, one of the most serious of all the allegations that this committee is is making. If the Department of Justice does move forward on charges against Trump, when could that possibly happen? Listen to what Brian has to say about that. There is a grand jury impaneled and there have been subpoenas and they've been taking testimony. And don't forget, Clark, one of the people referred to for prosecution, was dragged out of his house in his undies uh, you know, a few months ago when they searched his home. So, uh, yes, they are moving forward. And Jack Smith, who now heads that investigation, Mary Garland, uh, put him in as special prosecutor. He only has one job to do, and that's to oversee the prosecution of Donald Trump. I've often thought that it would be ironic if on January 6th of 2024, which is a Friday, and the DOJ loves to drop these indictments on a Friday, I think it would be interesting to see if, in fact, January 6th of 2024, there is an indictment uh, brought to Donald Trump. But as it is, this is a uh, this is one heck of a Christmas present for Donald Trump, if nothing else. Uh, listen, if anything, the former president can sell his NFTs, right? My official Trump digital trading cards are $99, which doesn't sound like very much for what you're getting. Buy one and you will join a very exclusive community. It's my community. And I think it's something you're going to like and you're going to like it a lot. They also make perfect gifts. Yeah, no thanks, Donald. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Are you planning to get a new or a pre-owned vehicle in 2023? If so, you're probably going to want to do a little bit of homework on what are the hottest and maybe not so hot vehicles on the market. Well, to that end, Auto Trader has released its annual top searched vehicles list of 2022. And here to talk about it is the editor-in-chief at Auto Trader, Jody Lay. Jody, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, I'm looking at this top 10 list. And I know there's many more vehicles on the list, but certainly in the top 10, there's a familiar sight at number one once again. That's right. Yeah. And in our number one spot this year is the Ford F-150. And every year since we've been collecting this data, uh, the F-150 has been on the top spot. So very consistent results. <laughs> Absolutely. Eight years in a row. What makes this vehicle such a, uh, a well-liked and well-searched vehicle? I mean, Canadians love their trucks. Um, and the Ford F-150 is not only the auto trader's top search, it's also the most popular selling vehicle in the whole country. And it's been that way for decades. So it's really no surprise to see it up there. Uh, there was a vehicle that made a big jump from number six to number two, and that is the always reliable Honda Civic. That's right. Yeah. This year we saw it jump up a couple spots, which was cool to see, especially because the Honda Civic is built in Canada. So, you know, we love to support our local manufacturing. Um, but it was interesting, the reasons why we thought it might have jumped up a couple spots. Um, typically, there's more luxury cars on our top 10 most search list. Um, and, you know, this year with all the economic pressures, um, I think Canadians were looking for more efficient and more affordable vehicles, which is, you know, kind of, you might explain why the Civic jumped up. In saying that, you know, six out of the top 10 are still in the, I guess, that luxury market. You have the Chevrolet Corvette at nine, the Mercedes-Benz E-Class at eight, the Porsche 911 at six, Mercedes-Benz C-Class at five, the Ford Mustang, uh, which, you know, the, the EV version nowadays is now up there in cost, at number four in the BMW 3 Series, and number three. So really 60% are still termed, I guess, in that luxury kind of market. Is that a surprise? It's actually not a surprise. So 
what people are searching for doesn't necessarily translate into what they're buying. Um, and so me personally, I use the AutoTrader marketplace all the time to look for, you know, cars that I might be able to afford one day if I win the lottery. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of other Canadians use it for that same purpose. Uh, there was another big jump, and that was the Toyota Corolla. Yeah, so that one didn't make it onto our top 10. I believe it's in the top 15 now, mm -hmm. um, and it used to be in the 20s. And so that, that's another really important one where, you know, it's built in Canada and it really reflected how Canadians were just looking for more efficient uh, and more affordable vehicles this year. Jody Lay is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Jody is the editor-in-chief at Auto Trader, and we're looking at the most searched vehicles of 2022 on Auto Trader. You can check out more online at autotrader.ca. Here in Ontario, it seems like we are searching for uh, more economical models of vehicles. That's right, yeah. So the number one searched vehicle in Ontario is actually the Honda Civic and not the Ford F-150. The Ford F-150 is number four on the Ontario list, which is interesting. In terms of 2023, looking ahead to what people are going to be looking for, what people are looking out for, EVs, are they in the equation? We don't see them on the top 10 list. They're so 2022 was a huge year for EVs. You know, when gas prices spiked in March, um, searches on the auto trader marketplace for EVs went up like 89% year over year, which is massive. Um, so they haven't cracked the top 10 yet, although um, the Ford F-150 Lightning is, you know, the all-electric version of the F-150, and, and those results are captured in, in this as well. Um, so I, I can only imagine that how, how many more uh, Canadians will be looking for EVs in 2023. Um, there's going to be so many new ones that are coming out next year, which is really exciting. Um, and in all different body styles and all different budgets, too, which is nice to see. So I really think that that increased um, variety is going to get more and more Canadians um, to make the switch. We had for a while there, and I think this was primarily last year, a, a massive supply chain uh, issue because of the semiconductor shortage that was really wreaking havoc around the world. Are we still seeing that? And, and are those reflected in these results? Yeah, absolutely. So used car prices were pushed uh, very high in 2021 and half of 2022 because um, new car inventory was so hard to come by. So a lot, some surveys we did showed that a lot of Canadians who were only buying new cars were willing to switch to used cars. Um, but since I think June, we saw prices start to come down a little bit for used cars. Um, so they've been down a little bit every month for the past five months, which is a relief. Also of interest is the intent to purchase. And with, you know, I, I'm just looking at some of these statistics and with, you know, interest rates where they've been going because of inflation and with a recession looming, the intent to purchase remains relatively strong. Yeah, that's right. So um, AutoTrader did a survey and 24% uh, of the Canadian car shoppers that we surveyed um, are looking to buy, are still intending to buy a vehicle. Um, and that's actually up from this time last year, which was about 18%. Wow, that's pretty good news for uh, automakers and uh, those dealerships out there looking to sell their vehicles. Jody, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and bringing, breaking down the uh, top 10 list of most searched vehicles of 2022. Thanks for having me, Rick. Jody Lay is the editor-in-chief at AutoTrader. Find out more online at autotrader.ca. Let's recap that top 10 
Number 10, the Jeep Wrangler. Again, this is the top searched vehicles in Canada this year. The Jeep Wrangler at 10, the Chevrolet Corvette at 9, at 8, Mercedes-Benz E-Class, Toyota RAV4 at 7, a very popular vehicle. A Porsche 911 at 6, Mercedes-Benz C-Class at number 5, the Ford Mustang at 4, BMW 3 Series at 2, and second place is the Honda Civic up four places from last year. And for the eighth year in a row, boy, we love our F-150s. The Ford F-150, number 1, on the top searched vehicle list in Canada, according to to Auto Trader. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Staying fit and exercising over the holidays doesn't seem to go hand in hand, does it? Right, the holidays all about eating lots of awesome food, whether it's in your own home or someone else's home, going to holiday parties, uh, you know, slugging out and binge watching a show, just not being very active. It seems rather conducive to the holiday season. Still, you know, in saying all that, you know, staying fit and exercising this time of the year, any time of the year, really is, is easier th- said than done. But we have for you some tips that are going to benefit not only your body, but your mind as well, and what can be, for many, a very stressful time of the year. And you might find, I just don't have the time to do some push-ups or some sit-ups or whatever the case is. Kathleen Trotter is a personal trainer and an author and our next guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kathleen, good morning. How are you today? Oh, I'm fantastic. Happy holidays. Same to you. Um, Staying fit this time of the year, as I said, is easier said than done. And, you know, especially tough to stay on the rails, so to speak, with the hustle and bustle of the holidays. What should we be doing? How do we stay on the tracks? Yeah, I think it's mainly about finding the middle ground and getting away from that black and white thinking. We self-sabotage so often by saying we either have to be 100% on our health wagon, you know, going to the gym two hours a day eating perfectly, or we're 100% off. And unfortunately, it's just um, life doesn't work that way, right? And listen, we have one precious life. So I am all for having foods that you enjoy and spending and making memories with your family. But that doesn't mean you have to completely fall off your horse. And also, if you fall off completely, you just feel like absolute crap, right? Like, so you're not actually going to enjoy the holidays in the same way. Uh, But if you can find that middle ground and say, okay, listen, I love chocolate chip cookies, but I don't love fruit tarts. So I'm going to eat the chocolate chip cookies. And then I'm going to make a memory with one of my family members and go for a walk, right? You can see it can, it can be part of your life, health and wellness. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is I don't want people to think either you're being healthy or you're living your life. Try to incorporate it together. Um, You know, go for walks, go tobogganing go skiing go you know put on some music dance around the living room as you you know as you wrap presents i don't know does any of that sort of sound sound a little bit fun and also a little bit possible like i think health often just feels way too daunting yeah there is there's obviously a balance there you don't have to be 100 percent on one side or the other although you know if, if any of our listeners are like me you know the thought that pops into my head is oh you know what i'll just do it tomorrow i'll just do those that exercise you just routine end up with a bunch of tomorrow yeah every day you wake up and you're like i'm so frustrated with myself right and i don't i hate when people are frustrated about themselves with their health when it doesn't have to be that way that you can find small ways to pepper movement into your life and you can find ways to make the holidays both enjoyable but also these connections like you know i was talking with um the producer before we started recording and she asked me what i was doing for my holidays and i was saying listen for two years over covid i wasn't able to make the memories that i wanted to with my friends and my family and this year is all about making memories but those memories don't have to be stuffing your face and feeling crappy afterwards those memories can be 
being active, doing a sport that you love, go ice skating, like just find ways. So then when January 1st comes, you're like, wow, my holiday was filled and it was really rich. And I don't feel like absolute crap. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Kathleen Trotter, personal trainer, author, online at KathleenTrotter.com, the author of Finding Your Fit and Your Fittest Future Self. The older we get, the harder it is, both physically and, and maybe mentally as well. Are there simple movements or exercises that older adults can do? Yeah, anything body weight is great. You know, sit to stands are fantastic. That's basically where you sit down in your chair and then you stand up. But what I always joke with my clients is, you know, start to sit down and be like, oh, I forgot something and then stand back up again and go. And then you're like, oh, no, I did forget something. And then you sit down. And so you can do five or six sit sit to stands every time you sit in a chair. By the end of the day, you know, you've done a good 30 or 50 of them. And we all need to be able to sit down to go to the bathroom, to sit down and eat your, you know, breakfast and your lunch. So, and walking is a fantastic thing, right? You can put on a podcast, you can go out, uh, you can listen to a podcast, you can go for a walk with a friend, you can walk to do your Christmas errands, um, balancing, specifically balancing on one leg. So, you know, if you're, if you have a very hard time balancing, you can just bring your feet nice and close together, narrow your base of support. Um, but if that's okay, then you can lift a leg and you can do that while you're brushing your teeth or you're waiting for your kettle to boil in the morning. So again, I really believe in, you know, peppering motion and activity into your daily life, store a resistance band at your desk or by the sofa and do, you know, take the band and do some rotator cuff work for your posture or some rows. So again, it's not hard and it's not onerous. It's not stressful. It's not like, oh, I I have to spend 30 minutes to get to the gym and then I have to be at the gym and then 30 minutes home. You know, it's five or 10 minutes here or there. Um, and by the end of the day, you do feel fitter and stronger. And especially as we get older, balance and falling on the ice is a huge deal, right? So if you can just every single day do five or 10 small balance exercises, um, and then in a week or two, you will find that your balance has improved. And that will have such a cascade effect into the rest of your day because if you feel more stable you're going to be more likely to go out and you know play with your grandkids or go skating or go walking um, in this sort of winter terrain so again it's about those small drops in your health bucket and you don't think that the small drops will do anything but over time they really accumulate and then all of a sudden your health bucket is overflowing um, and, you know, I love to tell people that you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to get great. You know, you said earlier about putting it off till tomorrow. Too often we do that because it's like, well, if I can't be perfect, if I can't be great today, then why even start? And it's like, yeah, but if you want to be, you know, feel better in a week or two weeks or a month, you have to start today, whether you're five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 60 years old, 80 years old, it doesn't matter. Um, you do have to start. And I love to tell my clients, it's the name of my second book, the Your Fittest Future Self, is pause and say to yourself, what will my future self want? So if you're, you know, saying, should I go for a walk or should I not? Or should I eat those five cookies or should I not? So pause, you know, and say, okay, what will my future self be proud of? Okay, my future self would be proud if I go for a walk or if I have one cookie, not five, or if I go to bed in good time. Um, and those are really, that's a wise and very productive way to make choices over the holiday season, Absolutely. as opposed to just getting caught up in the hustle and the bustle and the stress. It's easy to do so. Great tips, great advice from Kathleen Trotter. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us.
Oh, my absolute pleasure. Kathleen is a personal trainer and an author. Check out more online at KathleenTrotter.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.